0: Good evening. It's good to be with you. Um, I have good news for you tonight. It's called the gospel. And I need to hear that. I bet you do too. I know you do. Uh, this morning down in Kalamazoo, uh, we've been going through Exodus and we were in, at the uh, base of Mount Sinai, the terror of the law, the fire, the, the, the cloud, the dark, the trumpet. So I'm excited for the exuberant praise that comes from the pen of Peter tonight. (laughs) Uh, Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at just three verses, 10 through 12. 10 through 12. Uh, But I want us to read beginning in verse 3 just to help us with the context. 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 3. This is God's Word to us this evening. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You who by God's power are being guarded through faith, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And for our consideration this evening, verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, Your Word is more precious than gold. Would we cherish it as such in these minutes that we have, exploring it, um, studying it. Our prayer is that You would send Your Spirit to illumine our hearts and minds, that we would believe Your Word, that we would receive it, believe it, love it, cherish it, and that we would see in your word Jesus Christ, who is the answer for our every need. Would he be highly lifted up and exalted even through this time of studying your holy scriptures? Bring us to the gospel and give us everything that we stand in need of. Lord, what we we have not, would you grant to us? What we know not, would you teach us? In what we are not. By your Spirit's power, working with the Word, would you make us. For Jesus' sake, amen. In Port Townsend, Washington, if you look for it, you will find a home that was constructed in 1889 that is lit entirely with oil lamps, heated with a wood burner, and the interior is styled entirely like an authentic Victorian England home, and this is because the owners, a couple uh, by the name of Gabriel and Sarah Christman, they live as though they are in 19th century London. They have no running water, uh, they don't have a refrigerator, they have an ice box, and she wears dresses and corsets, and he wears um, trousers and waistcoats, all of which they make themselves, And the Christmens do this because they are truly convinced that the Victorian era was the greatest era of all of human history. And they report, the couple reports, this is on their website. Yes, there is a website. They say, we are not actors, in all bold capital letters, we are not actors playing dress-up to portray great men or women. We're just ordinary people choosing to insert as much of history into our present as we can. They're just ordinary people. Now, before we uh, roll our eyes at this, let's be honest. We've all been there where the Christmans are. Okay, maybe we haven't been there. It's a little far, it's a little much. But we've all been uh, filled with uh, nostalgia, gilded nostalgia, or the wistful wish of yesteryear and days gone by. Uh, they are an extreme example but of an all-too-common human sensation, thinking that this present world is messed up and everything that is true and good and beautiful is fading away in the past. We all have a time period that we admire and perhaps a time period that we wish, if we were able and could, that we would go back to and we would live in that time. Um, Perhaps as Christians... That feeling is particularly enhanced in recent years. We're not too popular right now. I don't know if you know that. I hope I'm not breaking news to you, but we're not too popular right now. Our values are demeaned by culture. Um, we often, are, our values are, our views are undervalued by Supreme Court justices and our Faith and life are threatened by policies that are introduced into Congress. We have lost and we are continually losing social privilege. Bring back the moral majority, we think. Bring back prayer into schools, right? Uh, uh, Bring back the days when all of our legislators were were good church-attending Methodists and Baptists and Catholics. Peter is writing to people feeling that pressure of disfavor in society as well. Uh, They are losing their societal privilege too. And, And here's what Peter wants to say to his audience, to his readership, who are also losing the advantages of being in the good graces of society. He wants to say, that's okay. That's okay. It's okay that you're losing your societal privilege because I want to offer you something that's far better than societal privilege and I want to tell you about your salvation Privilege. Peter's been talking all about salvation since this glorious run-on sentence that began in verse 3 through verse 9. That should have been enough for all of us to realize just how, how privileged we are to be in Christ, but there's more. Uh, Peter in verse 10 now says, now concerning the salvation, the salvation that I've been speaking of, I, I want to conclude with some more thoughts. He wants to say two more things to his readership and to us. But before we even get to those two points that Peter wants to make in, in wrapping up his, his comments on the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, before we even get to that, let me tell you what Peter wants you to leave tonight believing. Let me tell you what the whole point and the purpose of verses 10 through 12 is. The whole reason that Peter would write it and the reason that I'm up here preaching it it's so that you will leave this place tonight leaping in your hearts because of the privileges that you have and, and, and that you enjoy because you're a Christian, because you're a child of God. I, I want you to get in the car tonight and rejoice that you are in Christ, and not just that you are in Christ, but that you are in Christ right now, 2021. 2021. Peter wants us to face the fiery trial that is awaiting us this week or next, thinking this, there is no better time for me to be a child of God than right now, than right now. Well, how does Peter do that? How can he bring us to that point? Well, the first and the main thing that he stresses regarding the privileges of believers is that they have, believers have, more More than the saints before. That's the first thing. We have more than the saints of old, the saints who have gone on before. In particular, believers of today have more grace than believers of yesteryear. You notice that in verse 10, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours uh, the Old Testament writers predicted a day of grace that was unlike the grace they themselves experienced. Now, don't misunderstand. We're not saying that Old Testament believers did not experience grace. Of course, they did. God is a God of grace. It's part of who He is. It's one of His blessed attributes. We see that right from the, right from the moment of the fall, what does God do? He promises that, that a mediator would come, a Messiah would come, to rescue people. He announces salvation, not a death sentence. He's a God of grace. We see it as He clothes His his needy and naked children who have spurned Him and who have rebelled against Him. He's a God of grace. The people of God have never once been apart from God's grace. And it was the saints of old, even the saints that Peter is speaking of here, who taught us to praise God even as we did earlier in our call to worship and in our opening psalm From Psalm 145, it's the old saints who taught us to say that the Lord is gracious, is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. God is gracious. He always has been. And yet, even so, the prophets of old, they preached a message of grace that would only be realized for a a generation after their own. The nation of Israel lived under the old covenant which emphasized law. We live under the new comf- covenant which emphasizes grace. And, and our Westminster Confession is helpful in getting us to appreciate what, what, makes, what makes our new covenant so much greater and so much more gracious. In, in the section on the, the covenant of grace we read this, it says, the covenant of grace was differently administered in the time of the law and in the time of the gospel. Under the law, it was administered by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the Paschal Lamb, and all other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews, all for signifying Christ to come. But then it says, but under the gospel, when Christ, the substance, was exhibited, the, ordin- the ordinances in which this covenant is dispensed are the preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Which, though fewer in number and administered with more simplicity and less outward glory, yet in them, here it is, the covenant of grace is held forth in more fullness, more evidence in spiritual efficacy. And then it says, even to all nations, Jews and Gentiles. This is why our time is so much greater and we see so much more grace. Well, for one thing, there's less blood, there's more people. Jews and Gentiles, there's fuller access to God through our sacraments. These are all signs of a greater grace. And you know, there still is greater grace to come for us, by the way. Ephesians 2, 7 tells us that in the coming ages, God might show to us the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That means, friends, things just keep getting better and better. Did you know that? They just keep getting better and better. So cheer up. Cheer up. You have more than the beloved and faithful saints of old because you have Jesus. You have Jesus. You see, knowing Christ is the key to what makes us today so privileged. We have more grace because we know more. We have more because we know more. Did you see that, what Peter says? We know more. He tells us that believers today have more grace because they know more than the prophets of the Old Covenant. The prophets. The prophets. The authors of God's sacred scriptures. The exalted teachers and leaders of God's special beloved people. The ones who knew what they were talking about. Moses. David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi, the prophets, the prophets, the men who seemed to know it all, and yet Peter says there's something they didn't know. There's something they didn't know. They didn't know the who and the when of salvation. They did not know the who and the when of salvation. Let's look at verse 10 again. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now, interestingly here, we're given a little window into the doctrine of inspiration, uh, not only how the Bible is, is written, but even how it's interpreted. It says they were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ was indicating. Right, it, it, The Scriptures are written through the Spirit of Christ inspiring the authors of old, but then that same Spirit shows up again. He shows up in verse 12 when it talks about the preachers of the New Covenant. They preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, And so what we see here is that there's a Spirit who inspires the prophets of old, a Spirit who empowers the preacher of the New Covenant, and then even a Spirit today that illumines the hearts and minds of believers who would sit under the preached Word. This is how Scripture works. Without the Spirit, there is no Scripture. But what we're learning here is that the, the Spirit empowers the, these apostles of the New Covenant and therefore illumines the believers who hear their message to a greater degree than that Spirit even inspired the prophets of old. Because we know more than they did. We know what it's all about. Think of those great passages in the Old Testament that we know now so evidently speak about Christ. Psalm 2, or, or Psalm 8, or Psalm 22, or Psalm 110, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 53, and the list goes on, these passages we know are so evidently preaching to us about Christ were an enigma to the very people who penned them. Now some might object that that seems to suggest a sort of like robotic inspiration, like the Holy Spirit is a body snatcher who comes in and takes over these prophets and and takes over their personalities. and and dictates what they write, and then they, when, when they have, have written their text, the Spirit leaves them, and they wake up, they come to, and they have no idea what's happened or how they've written. That's not, that's not what happened. These prophets, they knew that there was a Messiah. They believed in a Messiah. They were waiting for a Messiah, but they just didn't have all the details. It's as though, it's as though they had a rough sketch and it just wasn't colored in. My wife and I, we have a wonderful arrangement, the two of us. Maybe you have this in your marriage. This arrangement is that I lose things and she finds them. It works out perfectly for me. Um, I, I am in the habit of losing things often. Uh, usually, something that I need right as I'm about to head out the door, namely keys. You know, I'm already late for a meeting and. And I, I'm, I'm flipping over the couch cushions and I'm crawling under the bed and I'm looking through uh, Jacob's toy chest and finally in desperation, Carrie Ann, I, I need to find my keys. And just like that, they're in her hand. It's like she didn't even look. There, she has them. Well, we're hearing that the prophets of old inquired carefully, verse 10, and they searched. Uh, that word, though, translated inquired, is a word that's used for searching a house. That's the idea, like I search for my keys. The prophets of old, they're searching through the scriptures. They're studying God's word. They're trying to find the key to, to their quest. But it's the apostles of the new covenant. And it's us, as we embrace their message by faith. That's what verse 11 says And the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news by the Holy Spirit. You see, it's the apostles of the new covenant and you and me through faith in their proclaimed message that can hold the key. Like my wife holds the key that I'm looking for. We can hold the key that the prophets have been searching for and seeking. We can look back to the prophets. We can jingle the key and we can say, here it is, we have it. We have what you've been looking for. Because we, we know the who and the When of salvation. We know the who. Verse 11 says that the prophets were inquiring what person or time. If you had the ESV, some other translations might say the time or the circumstance. The issue there is that the word translated uh, person is an interrogative pronoun which could mean who or it could mean what. And so there's some debate how it should be translated. But really, the meaning is the same uh, because the circumstance is all about the person, (laughs) The circumstance is the who, right? The circumstance of our salvation centers entirely on the who of Christ. The who that the prophets so desperately search for is Jesus. Friends, listen to me. Wake up here. Listen to this good news. Is there anything better than to know the name of your Savior? You know His name. How amazing is that? Is there any way to overestimate that blessing right there? That you have His name. Not not just that you know that there's a Savior, but you actually know Him personally. You can call out to Him by name. John Newton says how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear, amen? His name, we say His name is wonderful and the prophets of old would also say amen. Yes, His name is wonderful, it is sweet, we don't doubt it, but we don't know what it is. What is his name? And you and I know. Wow. That name that is above every name can be on your lips, in fact, should be on your lips every day. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Oh, Jesus, I need your help. Oh, Jesus, receive me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know the name. And that's the start of your salvation. And so here's really where you need to listen to me. If you are not a believer, if you have not escaped from the prison house of of sin, I have the key that you've been looking for. If you are lost in sin, if you are dead in your trespasses, here's what will turn it all around. Are you listening? Here's the answer. Jesus. Jesus. It starts with the name. Romans tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It starts with the name and we have it. You see, the prophets of old were saved through their faith in an unknown Messiah that would come. They knew he was coming, but they didn't know who he is. And we are saved when we put our faith in the Messiah that has come in the name that we do know that name is Jesus. So we know the who. We also know the when. Galatians 4 tells us, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. I love that phrase, when the fullness of time had come. That's one of my favorite phrases in the New Testament. It's a phrase that, that connotes when the timing is just right. Like when you're you're leaving a little late for church, and yet you hit every green light on the way here. Oh, the timing was just right. That's when Christ came. The phrase, though, also indicates that things were building to this moment when the time was fulfilled And what was building to this moment of Christ coming into the world was everything that we have in the Old Testament, everything that the Old Testament prophets spoke of. Without their ministry, the stage would not have been set for Jesus to come, to live, to die, to be raised, to ascend, to now intercede, to send blessings, to send grace upon grace to us. And the prophets are searching and they're inquiring when will he come? When will it happen? And they went to glory not knowing the answer that you and I now know. The answer that speaks to God's good sovereignty and and providence. To that question of when will it happen, we can answer. Well, he came when Quirinius was governor in Syria. He died when Pilate was prefect in Jerusalem. He came when the timing was just right. They did not know the who or the when, but we do. And in that way, Peter says something remarkable. He says that they were actually not writing for their own benefit, but they were writing for our benefit, for your benefit. They are serving you. It says that they were serving us like diaconal ministry. The prophets of old took up the role of a deacon for you and me today. Doesn't that blow your mind? It's amazing. It's amazing. What an astounding privilege is yours, dear Christian, that God would orchestrate the entire canon of Scripture to be composed so that you, yes, you, could know of the salvation offered in Jesus Christ. You are being ministered to by Elijah. You are being ministered to by David. By Daniel. They served you in their life and ministry. And the Spirit who inspired them is now revealing to us what their message was always about. Through the Spirit's work, that final pieces of this puzzle are now being put in place uh, so that what once was a stupefying mystery now is crystal clear. It makes sense. Our salvation is spelled out. We know, we know more than the saints of old. And are you seeing how Much the outworking of history shows the love of God to you, dear believer. And that's the final thing that that is going to blow your mind tonight. First, you have more than the saints of old. You know more than the prophets before. But secondly now, you are loved more than the angels above. You're loved more than the angels above. The conclusion of verse 12 tells us that this salvation, which Peter has been writing about since verse 3, it's a salvation that, that, that angels long to look into. St. Clair Ferguson said that these verses, 10 through 12, they describe uh, both history and heaven's most marveled mystery or most admired mystery, excuse me. History in heaven's most admired mystery. We've seen how it's a historical mystery. Now we're considering that it even puzzles the angels who are in heaven. They long for, they they strongly desire to know what salvation is really all about. The things that they're looking into refers back to the things earlier in, in verse 12, namely the preaching of the good news. So what Peter's saying is quite astounding, isn't it? He's saying that even these sublime spiritual beings in heaven don't really understand what this whole redemption thing is all about. They can't really wrap their minds around it. And they don't really understand it because, friends, here it is. Here's some good news. God has not set his affections on the angels in the way that he has set his affections on you and me. That's why the verb here for look actually means to peer into. It's the connotation that they're from the outside and they're trying to look in. It's as though they're on their tiptoes and they're looking into the window of God's house trying to understand how this Heavenly Father could love these fallen children that He has redeemed. We are more prized than these angels. Holy, sinless angels. God loves us more than them. Angels that Job tells us in Job 38 have been singing God's praises even before the foundations of the world. Angels who were entrusted with the great oracles and messages from heaven. Angels who guided Israel in the desert. Angels who proclaimed the birth of, of Emmanuel. Angels who, who announced, the first ones to announce His resurrection from the dead. The very first gospel preachers. Angels who are allowed before God's presence. Angels who consistently Flawlessly, fully, and faithfully sing praise to God Most High. Holy, holy, holy is their song day and night. And yet even so, as we heard earlier from Hebrews 2, for surely it is not angels that He helps. But He helps the offspring of Abraham. He helps you. He helps me. He has made us privy to this mystery of redemption. What an amazing thing it is to be a Christian. Am I right? What an amazing thing to be a Christian. So what are we going to do with these privileges? What are we going to do about this? Well, I think there are two things that are demanded of us. We've, we've learned two mind-blowing blessings and privileges of being a Christian, that we, we have more than the saints of old and we're loved more than the angels above. I think there are two corresponding responses that we ought to have as well. And the first is holiness. First is holiness. We know just how much God has given us in Christ, and therefore the only proper response is faithful obedience to him. Peter's going to make that explicit. As you continue uh, to read through Peter's epistle, he makes holiness a big theme that he uh, touches on and goes back to again and again. Verse 17 of chapter 1, he says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. Or chapter 3 and verse 17, it's better to suffer for doing good If that should be God's will, then for doing evil. He expects holiness from us because of all that God has done for us. Thomas Goodwin, a wonderful Puritan pastor and author, put it like this. He says, if God in former ages did reveal himself but by piecemeal, and if that piecemeal knowledge which the old saints had inch and inch did make them holy, then how much more holy should we be who have had full discovery? We know more, so more is demanded of us. Or to tweak one popular quote, with great knowledge comes great responsibility. The more we know of what God has done for us in the gospel, the more we are to give ourselves to Him in humble, grateful obedience and service because He more than deserves it. But there's a second thing that is demanded of us. First, holiness. Secondly, it's worship. Worship. We could say with great love, Comes great praise and doxology because God has loved us with this everlasting love that exceeds the love that he has even for these sinless and sublime angels then we ought to praise we ought to worship doesn't the good news of, of, of these little verses make you want to burst out in doxology like Peter does in verse 3 blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ doesn't this make you want to sing you know, we can join the angels as they're singing in glory. We can join their songs. There's a, an ancient church liturgical practice uh, often used in, in, certain, uh, in certain church uh, denominations, often used before the Lord's Supper, uh, where there would be this prayer of, of approach Uh, That would go like this. It is a right, good, and a joyful thing that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, Therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we evermore praise your name, singing, and then the congregation would join in with what's known as the Sanctus, the holy, holy, holy. Right? With the angels, with the archangels, with the whole company of heaven, we join and we sing. We can join the angels' song. Have you considered that the angels can't always join our songs? The angels cannot sing how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure, that He should give his only son to make a wretch. His treasure. The angels cannot sing, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not the part but the whole, has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. You and I sing that, the angels can't. The angels can't sing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I hope that makes you prize your praise all the more. This text has taught us that we know more than the knowers, right? We know more than the prophets, (laughs) the people who were gifted to know. We know more than the knowers, therefore, we can, we should, we must praise more than the praisers than the angels in heaven. Since we know more than the knowers, we can praise better than the praisers. Friends, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Michael, Gabriel, they have nothing on you. This knowledge of your salvation is to give you a sense of privilege that should lift your head amidst persecution. Remember that Peter is speaking to people who likely have had or will soon have their societal privileges revoked from them. So this isn't meant to to puff them up or to puff you and I up with pride. Look how great we are. Rather, uh, it's to humble us by magnifying God's great love and His mercy, even amidst the trials and the troubles that we go through. You know, today there's a lot of talk about privilege, about societal privilege. It's a card that people like to play at times to make Others feel pretty crummy about themselves. It's, it's kind of a lose-lose situation. If you don't have this privilege, well, you're marginalized and you're, you're disenfranchised and, and you're disadvantaged in society. But then at the same time, if you do have this privilege, you're made to feel guilty for having it and you're told you shouldn't use this privilege. Well, Peter says, I got something far better than this societal privilege stuff. I have salvation privilege to preach to you. And this salvation privilege is meant to fill your heart with confidence, put steel in your spine, and strengthen you for the exile that awaits you in this life, brothers and sisters. No matter what troubles you're going to face, even this week, this text, I hope, I pray, would convince you never, never to trade in what you have for anything. Not even the prestige of a prophet or the heavenly place of an angel. There is nothing, friends, better than being a child of God. And there is nothing better than being a child of God right now. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you are too good to us. We do not understand we cannot fathom your love for us. We are sinners. We are rebels. And yet we are made in your image, and you are seeking us. You have sought us in Christ to bring us back to you. This is your love for us. So would you give us the strength to comprehend What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ for indeed it does surpass knowledge. Lord, we have been privileged because we are in Christ. Might we never take that for granted but would it give us hope? Would it give us encouragement? Would it give us joy in the calling that you've given us even as we are called at times to suffer in this life? And might we do it always with a song in our hearts, a song of praise to You, a song of Your amazing grace to us that would save wretches like us, that would come and find the lost and and to bring us back found. You are worthy of our obedience. You are worthy of our praise. By Your Spirit, may we give these things to You unceasingly. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Our closing hymn is Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Let's stand and we'll sing together.